Shema Yisrael. Welcome to the broadcast outreach of Living God Ministries with Aaron Budgen. Aaron discovered Jesus is his Messiah while preparing to be a rabbi. He now teaches for several organizations and is the teaching pastor for Living God Ministries. Strongly distinguishing between the Old and New Covenants, Aaron presents the scriptures from a Judaic and historical frame of reference. Join Aaron now as he reveals the reality foreshadowed and the new life we can now experience because of what the Lord Jesus accomplished for us. I'm presenting a verse-by-verse study through the Gospel of John, and this is the 37th program in this series where I'm speaking about the Gospel of John, chapter 8. In the previous message, I was speaking about the woman who was caught in adultery, and I explained that the leaders set a trap for the Lord Jesus. He turned the trap around on them, and then they walked away. In this message, I'm going to continue with that situation where Jesus provoked them into a continued conversation. Now, what was going on was that this was the Feast of Tabernacles. In John chapter 7, verse 37, it says, On the last day, that great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried out, and he spoke about the living water. And then in John chapter 8, verse 2, it says, Early in the morning, and this would be after the last day of the Feast of Tabernacles. So this is the day after the Feast of Tabernacles. Now, there were two ceremonies that were taking place during the Feast of Tabernacles that were relevant in this section in the Scriptures. The first one was the outpouring of the water. The outpouring of the water had to do with the priests walking down from the temple compound to the pool of Siloam every day. They would collect some water. They would walk back up to the temple compound in a great procession and they would pour out the water before the altar. They did that every day, and I will speak about this when I come to the healing of the man who was born blind, and that's later in the Gospel of John. But the other ceremony had to do with the illumination of the temple compound on the last day of the feast. The temple compound on the last day of the feast was filled with a lot of oil lamps. And these lamps were filled with oil and they were ignited in the evening and the light that emanated from the temple compound was enormous. It filled the entire city of Jerusalem. It could be seen from great distances. This was a way for the people to proclaim that they were the light of the world, or the temple was the light of the world, or the Mosaic law was the light of the world, or the living God was the light of the world. And this was something that was done on the last day of the Feast of Tabernacles. So when Jesus spoke in John chapter 8, verse 12, he spoke to the Pharisees who were walking away, and he said, it says in verse 12, this is, the Gospel of John, chapter 8, verse 12, Then Jesus spoke to them again, saying, I am the light of the world. He who follows me shall not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. This is what he said when the religious leaders walked away, who were trying to entrap Jesus in the circumstance of the woman caught in adultery. He speaks out to them. 
in a way, he was saying to them, Hey, where are you going? We're not done yet. We're not done yet at all. There's a lot more for us to talk about. You came to me and you confronted me and now you're just walking away. We're not done. We have some other things to say. And so they're in the temple compound, in their holy place, the holy place of these religious leaders. Jesus makes a public proclamation that he is the light of the world. Now, he just achieved victory in this entrapment that the religious leaders had set for him there in the temple compound. He had just achieved victory. And so, in a sense, this could be a public declaration of the victory he had just achieved, and he's inviting the religious leaders to continue the conversation. But when he says, I am the light of the world, what he is effectively saying is that, you know, the day before, the night before, the lamps there in this temple compound were ignited and they provided a lot of light, but they're out. They are not ignited right now. There is no light there in the temple besides Jesus. Jesus proclaims that those lamps were lit, sure, but they went out. And he is there. And he is the true and legitimate light of the world. Abstractly, in the sense that he is the light of the living God. And he is a part of the illumination of the living God in the minds and in the hearts of the people. And so the temple compound had a profound ceremony that took place. But that ceremony is over, and now Jesus is asserting that he is the one who has the role of illuminating the world, not them, not those in the temple compound, but instead he is the light of the world. So the Pharisees respond. They take the bait. They respond to the provocation. In verse 13, the Pharisees therefore said to him, "Ah, You bear witness of yourself. Your witness is not true. Now he just said that he is the light of the world. He goes on and he says, He who follows me shall not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. And he is testifying of himself. Now, what's important to see is, first of all, that this is about him as a person. And second of all, he is bearing witness of himself. And they are not willing to accept his testimony about himself as a validation of truth. Those are two different issues. Let me start with the issue related to the fact that he is the person who they are to follow. That's in verse 12, the second part of verse 12. He who follows me shall not walk in darkness. Now, Jesus is not some kind of human flashlight. That's not that's not what he is. He's not going to walk around with an oil lamp even and keep that lamp lit and so he can provide light for people to be able to walk around and not stub their toe. He's speaking abstractly. Abstractly in the sense that People in the world are walking in darkness without him. 
What this means is that people are living their lives. They are walking in their daily lives and they have no idea what reality really is. They just don't. People have no discernment. They have no understanding. They do not have the wisdom of God. If a person will follow Jesus, then these things will be given to them because they are following him as a person. This is not about people following the law, following those things that are right, not doing those things that are evil. It's not about that. It's not about getting the sin out of your life. It's about knowing a person and following a person. And this person will give you wisdom, understanding. He will illuminate to you the knowledge and the wisdom of God in such a way that you will have the discernment of God and you will see the world through his eyes. You will understand the world through his mind. You will hear the world through his ears. And with the illumination of the living God relating to you about the circumstances and the situations and the problems and the events and the kinds of things that are going on in your life personally, in that way, he will be the light in your life. At the end of verse 12, but have the light of life. And how is this done? This is done through the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit. It has to do with the restoration of the Holy Spirit. The previous day, Jesus spoke about this again in John chapter 7, verse 37. On the last day, that great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried out, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. He who believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. But this he spoke concerning the Spirit, whom those believing in him would receive. For the Holy Spirit was not yet given because Jesus was not yet glorified. It's the same thing. He's saying the same thing. The previous day, he referred to the ceremony of the outpouring of the water. On this day, the next day, he's referring to the ceremony of the lampstands, the ceremony of the lights coming from the temple compound to illuminate the world, to say the exact same thing. He is speaking of the Spirit, the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit that people would receive if they believe him, if they follow him. That is what he was there to give. That's what he was there to do, to invoke the gospel, the new covenant, the restoration of the Holy Spirit. And he's proclaiming this to people throughout his ministry, proclaiming the gospel, the Holy Spirit who is soon to come, who will resurrect people from the dead. They will experience a transformation of who they are such that it will be as if Rivers of living water will flow from within them. Light will illuminate their lives and illuminate their daily experiences and so that they will not walk in darkness. And through the illumination that is given to us, our God will also be able to work within and through us so that others 
can be illuminated or so that others can see the light of the Holy Spirit and turn to their God personally so that they also can be saved and that they also can be resurrected from the dead. And so Jesus says, hey, where are you going? Remember me? This is who I am. You came to me with something that you felt was important, a matter concerning the law. Let me tell you what is of importance, what is of greater importance, and that has to do with the fact that you are spiritually dead. And because you are spiritually dead, you are walking in darkness. You do not have the light of life. And Jesus was telling them that he has that available for them if they would just believe in him and if they would just follow him, then they also could be saved and they could experience this reality. Instead, what do they say? In verse 13, the Pharisees therefore said to him, you bear witness of yourself. Your witness is not true. And Jesus answered and said to them, even if I bear witness of myself, my witness is true. For I know where I came from and where I am going. But you do not know where I come from and where I am going. You judge according to the flesh. I judge no one. Now, there's a lot that Jesus said here. And so let me start again with verse 13. The Pharisees said to him, you bear witness of yourself. Your witness is not true. And that was correct. According to the Mosaic law, the truth was to be established by two or more witnesses. And in effect, these witnesses had to be somebody besides the person of reference. In this case, Jesus needed to rely on somebody else's testimony if there is going to be some recognition by his opposition that what he is saying or what he is doing has some validity to it. According to the Mosaic law, that is a legitimate concern. Jesus brought this up earlier in the Gospel of John. John recorded what happened in a previous circumstance there in Jerusalem when Jesus healed the man who was at the pool of Bethesda. In John chapter 5, Jesus had a lot to say to the people after they confronted him over healing the man at the pool of Bethesda. In John chapter 5, John chapter 5, verse 31, Jesus says, If I bear witness of myself, my witness is not true. He said that. That's correct according to the law. But here... In John chapter 8, this is another festival, a little bit later, in his ministry, he makes a public declaration about himself. He testifies about himself. The Pharisees say, your witness is not true. You bear witness of yourself. Jesus answered and said to them, even if I bear witness of myself, my witness is true. But he said earlier... In John chapter 5, verse 31, if I bear witness of myself, my witness is not true. Well, in that circumstance, in the circumstance in John chapter 5, he was not wanting to rely on his own testimony. He wanted to rely on the witnesses 
that he had, and he had several witnesses. John chapter 5, verse 33, he had John the Baptist. John chapter 5, verse 36, the works that he did. John chapter 5, verse 37, the Father was a witness, and in verse 39, the Scriptures were a witness. He was not wanting to rely on himself as a witness. He was proclaiming that he had four witnesses, and he was going to use them. So he asserted the Mosaic Law before the people by stating that what he had to say should not be evaluated according to his own testimony, because if it was his own testimony, if he bears witness of himself, then by the Mosaic Law his witness is not true according to the law. But that doesn't mean that if he says something about himself, that it isn't true. It just means that if you want to do an evaluation according to the Mosaic Law, then it has to be done in a different way. But Jesus can say things about himself. He can say things about himself that are true. It is not as if a person can never say anything about themselves. That's not valid. And so in John chapter 8, verse 14, when he says to them, even if I bear witness of myself, my witness is true, he is able to say that if he bears witness of himself, that doesn't invalidate the truth. It just means that if you were going to do an evaluation according to the law, the people could reject his testimony, but they are still rejecting the truth. He is still telling the truth. And then Jesus asserts in verse 14, For I know where I came from and where I am going, but you do not know where I come from and where I am going. Now, Jesus spoke about this in chapter 7 as well. The previous day, he did speak about this. In verse 28, this is John chapter 7, verse 28, Then Jesus cried out as he taught in the temple, saying, You both know me, and you know where I am from. And I have not come of myself, but he who sent me is true, whom you do not know. But I know him, for I am from him, and he sent me. Now, in the previous day, just yesterday, he told the people that they knew who he was and they knew where he had come from. Now, what he was primarily referring to was his physical location there in Israel, that they knew what part of the country he came from, They knew that he was born in Bethlehem. They knew that he came from Nazareth. He was fulfilling the prophecies that were related to that. And they knew him. He says, you both know me and you know where I am from. But then the next day, the next day, here in John chapter 8, verse 14, he says, For I know where I came from and where I am going, but you do not know where I come from, and where I am going. So which is it? The day before, he told them, well, you know where I come from, and you know where I'm going. But today, you don't know me. You don't know where I come from, and you don't know where I'm going. 
Now, I personally do not think that there's a contradiction here at all. You could suggest that he was speaking to two different groups of people. I personally feel that he is speaking about two different abstractions. The first abstraction, the day before, which was the last day of the feast, in chapter 7, he was explaining to the people, look, you know who I am, you cannot use that as an excuse, and you know the prophecies related to the Messiah, and I have fulfilled them just fine. But in this context, what he's expressing to them is the reality of the restoration of the Holy Spirit. And because they don't believe him, it is because they don't believe him concerning the gospel, the new covenant, and what he came to provide people with, because they won't believe that. On that basis, they do not know him. And they do not know where he is from in the sense that he is truly from God. And so the day before, he was expressing himself in one context. And the day after, he is expressing himself in another context. The day before, he spoke with them about the evidence concerning himself. The day after, he's speaking about the evidence concerning the restoration of the Holy Spirit and the gospel and that they are responsible for what they believe, for what they decide to acknowledge as the truth. And if they refuse to acknowledge the truth, then they are going to continue to live their lives in darkness. Therefore, at the end of verse 14, John chapter 8, verse 14, he says, But you do not know where I come from and where I am going. He will do the work that God gave him to do. And the work that God gave him to do has to do with reconciling humanity to God. That's what he came to do. He came to die for the sins of the world and to provide the Holy Spirit that was lost in Adam, to resurrect people from the dead, make people into a new creation, a child of God, so that they may be saved and have a place in the kingdom of heaven. The life of the priest there in the temple was to execute the law, to pass judgments according to the law. The Pharisees were living by the law, and this is all about passing judgment on yourself and on others according to the law. And that is not what Jesus was there for. They had just confronted him with the woman who was caught in adultery, trying to get him involved in the operations there in the temple, trying to get him involved in what they believed was a holy and righteous life. And that had to do with passing judgment on others, or it included passing judgment on others. And Jesus said he's not there for that purpose. In verse 15, John chapter 8, verse 15, he says, You judge according to the flesh. I judge no one. And yet if I do judge, my judgment is true, for I am not alone, but I am with the Father who sent me. And so in verse 15, he acknowledges that their function in life is to judge others. But at the end of verse 15, Jesus asserts that he is not there to judge anyone. Now, you might be thinking, well, what about the final judgment? Yes, there will be a final judgment. And Jesus will be the one to make that ultimate decision. 
but he is not going to be judging people in the way that most people think. Most people are thinking that they're going to go before God and Jesus is going to issue a judgment according to people's works and then Jesus will decide if a person will have entrance into the kingdom of heaven or not. Well, the gospel is clear that entrance, the criteria for entrance into the kingdom of heaven has to do with being made spiritually alive. Your entrance into the kingdom of heaven is going to be established on the basis of you being dead or alive. If you are spiritually dead, you do not have a place in the kingdom of heaven. If you are spiritually alive, you do. And the way that you become spiritually alive is by surrendering to the new covenant, embracing the complete forgiveness for your sins that has already been provided because of what Jesus did for you, Receive the Holy Spirit to resurrect you from the dead so that your God can illuminate to you his wisdom, his understanding, and he can build a personal individual relationship with you. But for those who reject Jesus, many of them will protest by asking him to judge them according to their works. Now, this is an important thing to discuss and understand, but I am out of time in this program, so I will continue with this in the next broadcast. Thank you for listening. This is the 37th program in the verse-by-verse study through the Gospel of John. In this program, I spoke about John chapter 8, verses 12 through 16. This was after the confrontation that Jesus had with the people concerning the woman who was caught in adultery, and he spoke out to the people who were walking away, he spoke out to them and declared that he was the light of the world, that because of their unbelief and because they did not know the Lord, they did not know God and they did not know the one who he had sent, the Lord Jesus, because of that, they were living and walking in absolute darkness, but that Jesus was there in order to illuminate to them the truth of the living God so that they might believe the gospel and be saved. You've been listening to the broadcast outreach of Living God Ministries. You can hear all of our programs for free through our radio archive at livinggodministries.net. That is, livinggodministries.net. Do help us develop new radio programs and continue broadcasting on this and other radio stations. Send your contributions to Living God Ministries, P.O. Box 383-53, Colorado Springs, Colorado, 80937. Or use the donation link on our website, livinggodministries.net. That is, livinggodministries.net.